The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. When I was a ministry resident here at Christ Church, I received one of the greatest gifts of my life. No, it wasn't the regulation Major League Baseball autographed by Phillies legend Chase Utley that was given to me by your former rector, Pierce Klempt. <laughs> Although that precious orb still has a place of honor on my collectibles shelf. No, the gift I'm talking about was that in the spring of 2009, I was invited with my cohort, the inimitable Danny Lennox, to go on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. Like any pilgrimage to the Holy Land, it was a trip that changed my life. Also, like any pilgrimage to the Holy Land, it was a trip that was accompanied by buckets full of advice from everyone who had ever been there. Don't skimp on good walking shoes. If you see something you love, buy it. You may not be back. Be prepared to drink more water than you thought humanly possible. <laughs> the best advice I got was from Pierce, who pulled me aside before I left and said in that wise old owl kind of way, now, when you get there, you're going to be surrounded by places that purport to be the location where something holy happened. You're also going to hear lots of reasons why that place probably isn't the location where something holy happened. Do yourself a favor. Just believe it. Believe that this spot, this step, this well, this doorway is the place. Set aside your skepticism and academic criticism just for a minute. Remember that you're on a pilgrimage and not an archaeological dig. The trip will change you more this way. God will change you more if you believe. And so I did. I believed that the ruins tucked away in the basement of the convent in Nazareth were the home of Joseph the carpenter. I believed that the rutted streets in nearby Sepphoris had been repaired by Joseph and his gangly teenage son, Jesus. And in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, I believed everything. I believed that this was where Helena had found the true cross, that this was the stone where Jesus' body had been anointed, that this was the place of the empty tomb, the angel, the discarded burial clothes. Of course, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre makes it really easy to believe. It is a place of tremendous, sacred beauty, where the layers of adornment are matched only by the layers of prayer that have been laid down word by word over the centuries by millions of Christians. You don't just walk through the ancient doors of that church. You are drawn in by its gravity, by the feeling that this place has its own tidal pull in the universe of faith. It is a magnificent, holy place, a place that helps you believe. It is also a place built over a flaw. All of the gold and silver and candles and icons and altars and holy oil and swirling smoke are covering up 
a crack. There are different stories about where this crack comes from. Some say that it is a remnant of the earthquake that happened when Christ died on the cross. Others, though, say that the crack was always there, that the reason this rocky hill of Golgotha outside the city walls became the site of Roman crucifixion was because it wasn't much good for anything else, that it couldn't, could no longer be used as a quarry because of this flaw, this weakness. The crack has been preserved for pilgrims to see, brightly lit in the darkness and protected behind glass. It is a tremendous, sacred crack. The crack that led to the crucifixion, that led to the resurrection, that led to this church, that led us to believe. In today's gospel, we hear one of the most tremendous and sacred moments in Jesus' earthly ministry. Especially as it is told in the Gospel of Matthew, this story of Jesus and Peter has a sense of profound purpose, of weight and depth, of love, and even of beauty. Jesus has been quizzing his disciples on his own identity. Who do the people say that I am? And they start throwing out names. John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah. But then Jesus asks them the real question, the hard question, who do you say? that I am. And just like that, the words just burst out of Peter's mouth. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And he is right. And Jesus calls him blessed and tells him that he is the rock upon which he will build his church and that he will be given the keys to the very gates of heaven. It is for Peter, not only a moment of recognition, but also of redemption. Remember, it was only a few chapters ago that he almost drowned trying to walk on the water. But in this moment, Peter soars. This moment for him is a pinnacle, a mountaintop, and on it, Peter is magnificent and holy and shining like a thousand stars. But while in today's lesson, we leave Peter on that mountaintop just shining away, you and I know that there is a crack we know that there is a flaw running right down the center of Peter's being, a weakness that makes him unreliable. We know that sometimes Peter's passion turns to impetuous misunderstanding. We know that he's going to get it colossally wrong again. Next week, in fact, when Jesus will rebuke him and call him Satan, and again at the cross, where he will sink back into his fear and deny that he ever knew this Messiah, the son of the living God. We know Peter's weakness. And frankly, we often give thanks for it, at least I do. Thank God that Peter was so deeply flawed. Thank God for a disciple who messes up as much as we do. After all, if Peter can be redeemed, if God can use Peter despite his cracks, then there is still a chance that God can use us despite ours. But actually, I have to wonder if this is the right way to think about Peter, that God uses Peter despite his cracks. Maybe, just maybe, 
God decided to use Peter exactly because of his cracks. Maybe God knew that Peter's cracks, his faults, his confusion, and his cowardice would be what would allow him to become such a powerful witness, that it was because of his misunderstandings that he was finally able to preach with such authority about who Jesus actually was. Maybe his cracks gave him the humility to imagine changing the rules, letting love reign in a completely new way by welcoming in the Gentiles, people he never imagined as a part of his community of faith. Maybe his cracks gave him a compassionate heart for all of the other cracked people he met. Maybe his cracks were the key. Maybe his cracks made him into a place of resurrection. It is undeniable that this parish is a place of tremendous sacred beauty. It is also undeniable that this parish has cracks. We know this. We know that we have not always followed these commandments. We know that we have sometimes followed creeds that were not of God, that we have prayed our Father and thought ours and not yours. We know that our history has cracks in it as deep and wide as the cracks on these plaques. But we also know that Christ Church has been a beacon for the love of God for 250 years. What if these two things are related? Maybe these cracks, these fault lines over slavery or race or gender or class or sexuality, maybe these flaws of our ancestors, these flaws in our own hearts, are actually the key. Maybe it is because you have taken the time to see these cracks, acknowledge them, repent for them, that you are so beautiful, that you have such a history of radical love, that you have birthed so many missions with people around the world, that you have dedicated yourselves to the kind of outreach that has carried the love of Christ into the lives of hundreds of thousands of your neighbors. And maybe, just maybe, it is because of these cracks that you now find yourselves filled with the grace and the humility and the space and the resilience and the soft-heartedness to start changing the rules, to bear witness to a love greater than anyone who has ever prayed in this place has ever imagined. Maybe your cracks will help that love overflow in some new way into a world that is parched and desperate. Maybe you are Christ's church, not despite your cracks, but because of them. Maybe your cracks have made you into a place of resurrection. Beloved, if Christ is behind us and before us, then Christ is certainly in the cracks. And thank God, because there are more cracks in our world than we ever thought possible. 
the cracks between Americans, the cracks between Christians, between those Christ would have us call neighbor, seem like they are ready to split the universe into pieces. But you, Christ Church, with all of the cracks of your 250 years, can be a sign of real hope to the world, a sign that God can put those cracks to use, that God is already putting those cracks to use, building something new and infinitely lovely, building a new reign of love, building resurrection. If resurrection can come from the cracks of Golgotha, from the cracks of Peter, from the cracks in this parish and the cracks in me and in you, then there is no place where new life, new life cannot grow. Beloved, the place of the miracle is right here. Do not doubt, but believe. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.